Oh, hey everybody, welcome to another uh, episode um, regarding a blast from the past. Uh, we are still continuing our um, audio or our audio read of volume one of a three-part volume, Dungeons and Dragons, published in 1973, Men and Magic. Um, we've gone over... A small fraction of the book so far. We went through the forward, the introduction, which then we focused on scope. Um, and then we um, did some work on characters and reviewed how they designed, built the idea of the characters. Um, which is, well, there were some interesting pits and uh, <clears throat> pieces in that. So if you haven't listened to our previous episode, catch that because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Um, TNT, uh, TTRPG Academy, um, where you come to, um, teach, learn, and play. Uh, we focus on the idea of teaching games, learning about games, and then playing the games. So if you feel so inclined, please donate to us. We could always use a few extra bucks, a coffee to kind of keep this going. Um, my focus has always been to bring both the history of the evolution of games, um, how we play them now how we can learn to play new games, and then how important it is to play a game, especially for our mental health. So, this episode, we are going to launch into page 10 of the book. Um, and it's going... To, you know what? I, I thought I was going to possibly expand um, Determination of Abilities. So, on page 10, Determination of Abilities... Then on page 12, languages and non-player characters. I'm actually going to save non-player characters for another eventuality, a, a separate um, podcast. Um, I'm going to focus in on determination of abilities because I think this has a lot to say uh, about the core identifier of how games are made in the uh, both the TTRPG um uh, a genre as well as the RPG genre because there is the player character who's playing something and usually built around that are the stats. Um, when the storyteller or referee or whoever's running or assisting in running the game, their narrative player characters may have stats. Their monsters may have stats. Um, the encounters that are being created have stats. So I think at the core of almost every genre of every game, uh, whether it's GURPS, whether it's um, Masquerade, whether it's Cthulhu, you know, whatever game you're playing, I think abilities is a core that all games kind of speak to equally. And I think that's kind of important to understand that origin. Why in the early 70s was this important? How did they view it? And when they built it into the D&D mechanic, from that point on and the evolution, the iteration of the games, whether it's D&D or other games that have spun out of that, um, you know, determination of abilities. And I think going back to 1973 and looking at the formula that, that was built as a core mechanic, I think it help us kind of begin to discuss whether or not it's that important anymore. Are there new ways to kind of evolve the ability idea of core mechanics and whether or not 
a new way is either the involvement of a different system, a different methodology, or, you know, creating something um, new to kind of um, uh, take into account the modern way games are played versus how games were played almost 50 years ago. So we're going to read page 10, break it down, then we'll read page 11. Uh, determination of abilities. Prior to the character selection by players, it is necessary for the referee to roll. So here's what's really cool. So prior to the character selection by players, it is necessary for the referee to roll three six-sided dice in order to rate um, as in order to rate each as to various abilities and thus aid them in selecting a role. So already what we don't do now is we have the player's role. And it, when they first published these rules in 73, the referee rolled. Um, categories of ability are strength, intelligence, wisdom, constitution, dexterity, and charisma. Each player notes his appropriate scores, obtains a similar roll of three dice to, to, be, um, to determine the number of gold pieces, dice score times 10, he starts with, and then opts for a roll. A sample of the record of a character appears like this. Um, so they have a sample name, the ability class roles, the gold piece. Um, you know, so they just presented an example of a magic user stat role. Um, this uh, supposed player would have progressed faster as a cleric, but because of a personal preference for ma magic, opted for that class. With a strength of only six, there was no real chance for him to become a fighter. His constitutional score indicates good health and the ability to take punishment of most forms. A dexterity of 9, low average, means that he will not be particularly fast nor accurate. He is below average in charisma, but not hopelessly so. So they gave that little blurb based on the fact their sample is a strength 6, six intelligence 11, wisdom 13, con 12, dexterity 9, uh, charisma 8. Uh, so... Obviously, this was their way of giving them an example of how they were organizing the idea of, of attributes um, and abilities and determination. So from the determination aspect, it sounds like the referee does the rolling and then the referee has a conversation with the player and says, OK, these are the stats that I rolled for you. Um, you know, what do you want to play um, now? That's not very fun for the player, I don't think, but it could lead towards a lot of healthy conversation between expectations. Now they go on to explain abilities. So the first three categories are the prime requisites for each of the three classes, fighting men, magic users, and clerics. See the bonus and penalties to advancement due to abilities table, which appears hereafter. And we'll talk about that. Strength is the prime requisite for fighters. Clerics can use strength on a three-for-one basis in their prime requisites area, wisdom. Strength, strength will also aid in opening traps and so on. Intelligence is the prime requisite for magical types. Both fighters and clerics can use it for their prime requisite areas. Strength and wisdom, respectively, on a two-for-one basis. Intelligence will also affect referees' decisions as to whether or not certain actions would be taken, and it allows additional languages to be spoken. So here's what's interesting about their interpretation 
of intelligence in 1973. If your character's intelligence was low, the referee is able to tell the player your intelligence is too low for that character to figure out what you think you are doing. Um, I hate that. I do not like that at all, but I understand that that's how it was built back then. Um, once again, the referee is mitigating a player's ability to interpret their character based on something that is too intelligent for them to understand how to do, um, which I think creates so much harm between the referee and the player that you're just going to have a frustrated player. Um, I think the way they've modernized the intelligence and wisdom perspective, I think, is much healthier now than what it was before. Uh, wisdom is the prime requisite for clerics. It may be used on a three-for-one basis by fighters and on a two-for-one uh, basis by magic users in their respective prime requisite areas. Wisdom rating will act as much as does... Oof, God, their writing is its rough. Wisdom rating will act as much as does that for intelligence. So they're basically saying it's not really all that difference between wisdom and intelligence. Um, constitution is a combination of health and endurance. It will influence uh, such things as the number of hits which can be taken and how well the character can withstand being paralyzed, turned to stone, etc. So they're referring to the saving throw table at that point. Uh, charisma is a combination of appearance personality, and so forth. Its primary function is to determine how many hirelings of unusual nature a character can attract. That is not to say that he cannot hire men-at-arms and employ mercenaries, but the charisma function will affect loyalty of even these men. Players will, players will in all probability, seek to hire fighting men, magic accusers, and or clerics in order to strengthen their roles in the campaign. A player character can employ only as many as indicated by the charisma score. So I think what we've seen over the course of the readings, now that we've moved on to page 11, we've gone through, you know, all the abilities, their explanations of abilities. When you go back to characters, character roles, and clearly this entire game was designed to be fighter-centric. Clearly it was designed to mimic the idea of a medieval kind of trope related to, you know, the the knight hiring lots of men at arms to go and do um, whatever it is that they're going to go do, and the um, focus on the charisma score within the the presentation of the book obviously kind of reaffirms that. Um, so they do have a chart. Um, the chart talks about the charisma score related to maximum hirelings and the loyalty base, um, which is their way of saying, okay, based on your charisma score, these are the maximum people you can hire, and then a modifier to uh, how loyal they are to the person doing the hiring. In addition, the charisma score is usable to decide such things as whether or not a witch capturing a player will turn him into a swine or keep him enchanted as a lover. Finally, the charisma will aid a character in attracting various monsters to his service. Um, so what's interesting is all of the other abilities get one or two sentences. Charisma gets half a page. <laughs> I mean, 
I, you know, I could go into a psychological profile on the whole charisma thing and why it seems to be the most important factor of the very first publication of the book. Uh, but I'll, you know, I won't go down that path. Um, I have my own opinions on that and they'll stay opinions for me. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, 50 years was definitely very different ago. Um, so they then go on to build a table called bonuses and penalties to advancement due to abilities, right? So they refer a low score is three to eight. Uh, average score is nine to 12, which isn't really all that different from today. And then a high score, 13 to 18. Um, nowhere have I seen anything above an 18. So clearly, you know, they were locked into the mechanic of the maximum 18 on ability check. So um, what's interesting is any prime requisite that is a plus three or more, add 10% to earned experience, you know, and then they go on, um, you know, uh, it, it, this was their first go at proficiency. I think, um, they, you know, when they wrote this prime requisite score was the number one score that was the focus of the character role. And then based on that prime requisite score, they built an, a, a, you know, they built a, a, a table that allowed for for pluses and minus based on those prime requisites. I think we're looking, or in this case, I'm looking, you're hearing what could be called the very first framework of the idea of proficiency. Um, they did it more at the ability score level, and then they used modifiers to kind of uh, determine what different things were either a negative or a positive. So this feels very much to me like the very first kind of early iteration of how they how proficiency probably evolved over time. So that's it. It's two pages, page ten and eleven. Um, you know they they determine you know how do you determine the abilities, the referee rolls and then discusses the outcome with the player, and then they build uh, uh they build the character role together. I find it interesting they build it together, um, but you know obviously over time. The uh, the players have gotten the ability to roll back, um, and the referee isn't the only one doing the rolling anymore. Then they explain the abilities to us with a very heavy focus on charisma, as well as a chart built for us to understand if a pre prerequisite score is used, then there's a chart that determines outcomes of those prerequisite scores, which I think is kind of the beginnings of proficiency. So it's page 10, page 11. Um, Minute Magic Volume 1. It's just two pages for ability determination. Now, what I find interesting is character roles came before this as an overall description. I would imagine if you could turn back time, you would put determination abilities before character roles and then put it, you know, um, realign it so it kind of makes more linear sense as someone's reading it. But we will throw in languages on top of this because I find it interesting how they how they did this. So, languages. The common tongue spoken throughout the continent is known by most humans. All other creatures and monsters which can speak have their own language. Although some 20% also know the common one. Law, chaos, and neutrality also have common languages spoken by each respectively. So that's interesting. So in there, when we talked about alignment 
which I don't use, but I think once again, it's interesting to look at it. There's a lawful common, a chaos common, and a neutrality common language. Um, I had completely forgotten about that. Uh, one can attempt to communicate through common tongue, language particular to a creature class or one of the divisional languages, law, etc., while not understanding the language, creatures who speak a divisional language will recognize a hostile one and attack. So, if you're a fight, if you're a lawful fighter, and you approach a monster that's considered lawful, technically, they're saying because they're both lawful, that's a divisional language, and they can kind of understand each other potentially. I think that's interesting. I had totally forgotten about that. Um, characters with an intelligence above 10 may learn additional languages. One language for each point above 10 intelligent factors. Thus, a man with an intelligence level of 15 could speak seven languages, i.e. the common tongue is a divisional tongue and five creature languages. Of course, magic user spells and some magic items will enable the speaking and understanding of languages. I just threw that in at the end of uh, abilities because I feel like they almost make language an ability, especially since they um, kind of created a language for alignment. Um, you know, since lawful can speak a lawful tongue, a neutral tongue, and a chaos tongue, I, I think that's an interesting way to approach whether a human interacts with a non-common tongue human the divisional can still re resolve the language barrier. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting the way they built that up. So just a quick look at attributes. Yeah, I know it's like the core of the game is basically two pages um, and, you know, very simply discussed abilities based on prerequisite, a prerequisite table that determines what you can and can't do and benefit or, you know, uh, 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 you know, whether it benefits you or whether it detracts from your character role, they clearly had a focus on charisma. There's a lot of charisma content there. Um, and clearly the way they designed the game in 73, there was always an assumption that they was, these campaigns would be massive in scale. So while the ability determination is important of the score set, it seems charisma got the most kind of detail associated to it, which I found interesting. And the little blurb on languages, I think it was an interesting way of doing that. And I feel like we just viewed kind of once again, the beginning frameworks of the idea of proficiency and where it evolved from. So, so uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, when we come back next time, we are going to talk about NPCs. Now, NPCs in the modern term, I don't call them non-player characters anymore. I call them narrative player characters. But when we come back next time, we're going to talk about the view of the non-player character as it was built back in 1973. So if you can help, we appreciate a coffee. Donate um, on our uh, Anchor website. Visit our socials. Come and you know uh, hang out with us on Twitch, Discord. Uh, the Academy is always growing. It's always there to help people teach, learn, play. If you want to, you know, learn how to play online, if you want to get an organized game going, we're here to help you. Uh, so as I always say, stay safe, stay kind, play a game. It's important for your mental health. Uh, thanks for stopping by, everybody. Bye-bye.